Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. We just started a series last week on the book of Philippians. We're going to spend about six weeks on Philippians. Over the next few weeks, I'm challenging you to be reading through this book on your own during the week. One of the challenges I've given you on how to read this is to take one chapter a week and read it several times that week. The same chapter. Well, Dan, I already read it once. Yes! And God sometimes will prompt something on the third and fourth day that you've read the exact same chapter that you were not even thinking of before. So I want to encourage you to try it. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done that. This week, if you start this week, read chapter one at least three times this week. So do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever works out with your schedule. And write down what the Lord puts on your mind, what he prompts in your thinking as we go through this book together. Uh, Last week, we started uh, this series and looking forward to hopping into it again today with a very familiar verse. Now, um, I am, uh, uh, you know, unabashedly very tech savvy, and I know you guys get tired of hearing about that, but I have to do some education for some of you here with this, not because you're ignorant, but maybe you just don't know. One of the popular things that you will put on social media these days, and we've even done it with the church, there's two different versions of this. There's one that's this or that, and there's one that is also called one has to go. Uh, Now, here's an example of this or that. Um, You put it up and you get people's responses to it. So this or that, you normally put, uh, this has like sweet or savory. How many would be sweet over savory? How many would be savory? This is a Lancaster County Church. All right, yeah. Uh, Sweet any day with me. So uh, it goes through all these different hypotheticals. You have to pick between two. Or in the other one, you have like (laughs) Honey Nut Cheerios, Captain Crunch, Fruit Loops, or Frosted Flakes. Which one, if you had to get rid of it and never, ever be able to eat it again, which one would it be? Honey Nut Cheerios, probably because it's healthy for you. I'm kidding. Uh, Yeah, uh, so it's kind of fun. You know, you go about doing these this or that's or, you know, one has to go. Uh, These are are always interesting because sometimes it's like two pleasant things versus each other. You know, it's not like chocolate cake or getting stung by a wasp, okay? I think, I think we're probably going to go with the chocolate cake. I think. So, uh, but it's always like either it's two really good things that you have to decide between, and that's this moral dilemma, which one do I pick? Or sometimes it's two really bad things, you know, uh, smashing your thumb and something or, you know, going to the dentist. And you have to figure out which one could I endure the most? Which one is the least unpleasant? Uh, Sometimes it can be very easy, but sometimes it can be very hard. Regardless of what, though, it causes tension in us. Because that tension is, man, i got to give up something in order to enjoy something else. Now, many of these uh, come down to a a win-win situation. Sometimes it's two really good things. It's like watching the Eagles or watching the Eagles. And it's, and it's obvious. It's a win-win because you get to watch the Eagles, okay? Um, I don't know if you've had a win-win situation in your house where you've had to do a decision between a couple things or not. Maybe for you it was you had to decide between watching, you know, uh, your favorite movie. I'm just going to use what would be okay and uh, approved by the whole family in our home. You have to, you have to watch The Sound of Music, or you have to watch, I'll say, well, my kids haven't seen music, but Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, two musicals. I love these musicals. It's a win-win, okay? Either one's great, 
One's really long. That's the only problem with it. Uh, Fiddler is really long. Um, it's a win-win situation. Maybe you've had that. You've had to pick between two things. It's like, I can't go wrong no matter which one I pick. Maybe for you it was getting a date night with your spouse or staying with your family, your kids, your grandkids, and getting to make memories there. Now, for the ones that have really young kids, you like date night. <laughs> Forget that. I mean, that's number one. But for some of you, it's like a wrestle. You can make memories with your family or you can be with your spouse. It's a win-win. I mean, there's positives to both of those things. Or one, one last one with this. This is a shameless plug. Maybe it's you have to decide between eating your W donut in the parking lot. Has anyone not been to W Donuts yet? It's okay if you haven't. I'm plugging for them, and I'm hoping to get a free donut out of this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> w Donuts, fantastic. Akron, go there. They're not open today. Um, w Donut in your parking lot or W Donut on your back deck, you know, as you're overlooking and enjoying the beautiful deck. Okay. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Uh, you know, uh, win-wins are great, but they do cause a bit of tension in our soul. Now, why on earth am I going on this long tangent about win-win situations this morning? Today in our passage, we're going to see Paul was stuck in a win-win situation. And it's a familiar verse, and some of you may already know what it is without even reading it. You know that there was a tension in him, and he even admits a tension in him between picking one thing or the other. He had a preference, but ultimately it was a good thing, no matter what the situation was that God put him in. Now, little review before we get into our verse. If you were not here last week, Philippians, we've talked about just some of the background with this book. It was written to the church in Philippi. One thing that's very interesting about Philippi is this is believed to be the first church on European soil, which means the gospel spread from this, and that's why you're here today. First church in European soil where this was placed, Philippi was a retirement community for Roman military. Uh, it was also a place that we talked about last week where women held a significant role in the city there. They, they had positions of leadership and were business people and so on. And you see that this church was started there. Paul worked alongside some women who had been searching for the truth. And so there's this really cool story that you get behind Philippi. Um, Paul is writing this from where? Prison. It's, yeah, it's right in the title of the series, Joy from Prison. He's writing from prison. He's been in prison for two years at this point. It's believed that they had to look for him, which means they lost track of where Paul was in order to find him to get this letter from Philippi. He had a little bit been forgotten about, or maybe people were just on a form where he had been moved to. He writes this letter from prison to the church of Philippi. We talked about it last week. He has these wonderful memories of them and what God did. And he, we talked all about partnership last week and the importance of partnering. And I hope some of you took that challenge at the end of the sermon last week very much to heart. We need to up our partnership. We need to up how we as a church are coming together in fellowship, coming together in our supporting one another, coming together in financial support, coming together in serving one another, coming together in serving when opportunities like yesterday at CityGate are there. We need to up that because when we up that, we become closer and we become unbreakable by the devil and anything that he plans to break us up. Paul writes this letter and all throughout this book, 16 times, there's one word that he uses over and over and over again and it's in the title of the series. What is it? Joy. 16 times. This is the book of joy that he's writing for prison. 
chained to a guard in Nero's reign. How on earth can anyone be joyful in that? Well, we're going to get a hint of one of the reasons he's joyful today. Now, joy, just so you know, I uh, looked up another pastor. I loved his definition of this. Uh, another pastor put it this way. He said, joy is not happiness. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. We're assured God's in control. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. We know that all things work together for good for them that love God. That's straight out of Romans. And the determined choice to praise God regardless of our situation. How many of you have had situations that are not easy to praise God in? All of us. And yet joy, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is that regardless of how bad things are, sitting in a prison chained to a guard, you can still find the assurance, the confidence, and the choice to praise God regardless. Remember that Paul and Silas in Philippi sang and caused prison doors to open. And there, a Philippian jailer gives his life over to Christ. They could find joy in the midst of it. So today, we're going to get into our passage. Verse 19, we're going to start with today of chapter 1. Um, but uh, before we get to 19, I actually meant to say this. We're going to start at the very tail end of verse 18. And the reason we're doing this, when they broke down chapters and verses, which came years later after the Bible had been brought together, uh, sometimes they didn't necessarily put the number of the verse where the train of thought had changed. This is one of those examples because this verse technically can be broken into two. The beginning part of it follows the preceding verses. This one is sort of his change of thought. So we're going to pick up here. I'll explain this earlier verses. He starts in this in verse 19 or 18b. He says this, yes and I will rejoice. Great. That's the end of our sermon. I'm kidding. It's not. Yet I will rejoice. Yes and I will rejoice. We'll rejoice about what? If you read the preceding verses, which you will this week when you're reading through the chapter three times, uh, is as your homework, you will see that Paul was talking about the fact that news had gotten back to him, that people were coming into the church of Philippi, and they were preaching the gospel, Jesus Christ, but some of them were doing it out of envy and jealousy for Paul. Maybe they didn't like the fact that Paul was so popular with the people. Maybe they didn't like the fact that Paul had so much going on and people loved Paul. They loved Paul. And as a result, it, he said, you know what? Here's the reality. Regardless if they are preaching out of selfish ambition or not, Jesus is being preached, therefore, I'm fine with it. What? They're preaching out of selfishness. Do you know their heart motive? I can judge them because I'm a Christian and I have it all together. Do we ever do this? Let's put the picture up. Three celebrity pastors. You may not know any of them. One of them, most of you know. Uh, Joel Osteen, yeah. Celebrity pastors. We're in the age of celebrity pastors. The other is uh, Stephen Furtick out of North Carolina and Michael Todd, who's been a newcomer since covid you would call these celebrity pastors well-dressed, way better dressed than I'll ever be able to afford, okay? Uh, these are the guys that end up on the social media account preachers and sneakers because they're wearing like $1,000 shoes and all this. And we sit there, and as good Christians, we're like, hallelujah, they're preaching Jesus. Or do we? Or do we say, oh, <laughs> they're just doing it for their own ego. They're just doing it for their popularity. Now, is that possibly true? Could be. 
But I'll know that I, I'll tell you this. Most of them preach the gospel. They talk about the need of being saved, the need that you are a sinner and you need Jesus in your life. Can I find a level of rejoicing and guys that I may disagree with because they're proclaiming Christ? According to Paul, Paul said there are individuals that are doing preaching out of vain conceit, selfishness, and yet he rejoices. Yet we sometimes sit there and judge and judge them. Let's move on. We could just end it right there almost. Verse 19, he says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now this is a mouthful. Let's take this a little bit of time. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's the first verse. He says this, Church of Philippi, I know a couple things. One, you're praying for me. You're praying for me as I'm going through all of this, which is awesome. That's that partnership thing we talked about last week. Thank you for that. Because of those prayers, because God hears prayers and answers prayers, and also because of the help of, now note what he says, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He does not say the Holy Spirit. Is it one and the same? Yes. Why is he saying then the Spirit of Jesus Christ? One thing that was important and has been emphasized even in the first part of this chapter is his life is all about Jesus being known. He wants to make sure Jesus gets the credit and attention that he deserves. So he talks about this Spirit of Jesus Christ that will turn out for his deliverance. What deliverance is he talking about? Well, it could be one of two things, and I think we're going to get a hint. He, he kind of was on to what it would be. Paul could be delivered if the guard said, you're free, here you go, see ya, and kick him out. He would be delivered. Awesome. But Paul also would be delivered if they came to him and said, time to face the executioner. You're going to die for your faith. He would be delivered because he would be free. And he knew that regardless, of the, because of the prayers and because of the Spirit of Christ that was giving him strength in this situation, he would be delivered one way or the other. And then he says this, as it is my eager expectation, I like this, this Greek word here for eager expectation gives this picture of a person who stretches their neck out to see what's going on and what's coming. You know this because some of you have done this. Anyone in here a rubbernecker? Yeah, uh-huh. I know, yeah, I do it too. Actually, I try to play it off. I just let my eyes follow instead of turning my head because I can't show I'm actually interested in what I'm passing up when an accident or something's on the side of the road. Um, uh, rubbernecking, you know, it's that picture of you're like, look at what's going on. And Paul says, I have this eager expectation. I am sticking my neck out, looking to see with eager expectation how I'm going to be delivered. What is it going to be? Is it going to be life? Is it going to be death? And he says also that he has hoped that he will not at all be ashamed. He hopes that he will be vindicated because if he's killed, it says, Dude, you lived up to what you were supposed to be living up to for Jesus, and they found you worthy to be killed. And that's an honor. Even though for us as humans, we're like, really? To be killed for Christ would be an honor? Maybe that causes a wrestle in your spirit. And yet, he saw that as an honor. That was proof he had done what he was called to. But he also saw it that he would not be ashamed. He would be vindicated if he was released because 
God saw a need for him to still be around. That will come up in a second. He says, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. He knew at the end of it, whether I die, whether I live, Christ is going to be honored, and that's all I care about. It's all about Jesus. Our lives, your life, should be all about Jesus. That when they talk to you, when people talk to you, when people encounter you at Dutchway, when people encounter you in your neighborhood, when people encounter you, total strangers, they say something is different about this person. And they get the opportunity to find out it's all about Jesus. And I don't know how well we do with that all the time. But that's what it's all about. And that's all it was about to Paul. He goes on a little bit further. And uh, uh, verse 21, he says the verse that is very familiar to many of us. You probably have it somewhere in your house. For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I'm not going to go further just yet. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We talked about win-wins at the beginning of this. This or that. One of these has to go. Paul is saying this is my win-win here. And he'll explain a little bit more as to why. But there is a tension caused in him by this win-win situation that he's facing. Either I live or I die. But one way or the other, I'm going to be delivered and Christ is going to be glorified. And that's all I care about. He goes on and he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your accounts. Paul says this. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, I'm going to have fruitful labor. I am going to make the most of my time. As long as God has me here, as long as I am breathing oxygen and I can walk around and talk to people, I'm going to make my life count for him. I'm going to impact people for him. That's all I care about. And so he says, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make the most of my time with life. But then he goes on and he says, uh, he talks about this wrestle in his soul. He says, which should I choose? Should I choose to live or die? Man, I don't know. He uses the word, I'm hard-pressed here. Uh, that hard-pressed talks about tension. Uh, there's something in him that's a wrestle. Man, I kind of want to go be with Jesus forever and get rid of this world. But yet, it's important for me to still be here on account of you all. There is something that still needs to continue. My impact on the church of Philippi, if God keeps me here. He feels stuck between two locations. When I was in college, uh, I would travel home from Lancaster Bible College down to Beckley, West Virginia, uh, where my parents were living at the time. Dad was teaching at Appalachian Bible College. And uh, I would drive there, spend my week or whatever there. And then I always remember when I would drive home, there was always this tension in me. Because I was driving home to my roommates, the youth group I was helping out here at Effort of Bible Fellowship. I was, over, I was getting close to that home, but I was also leaving home behind. And if I stayed in West Virginia, there were advantages there. I had old friends there. I could have gotten a job there. But there was also that tension of going to my home at college that had so much good stuff going on too. And there was like this, man, I kind of wish I could be in both places at once. Because there's benefit in both of them. And Paul feels this. Paul says, man, I'm stuck between home and home. And i got to make the most of where I'm at. His perspective in it all, though, was joy. 
He wanted to be joyful. You can hear his joy. He talks about this joy. And he'll even talk about it again in the next few verses where he talks about teaching them to rejoice despite joy in death, joy in life. Be joyful. Choose to praise God. Choose to be content with where he puts you. Verse 25, he goes on. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. Now, pause. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. As I read through this part with uh, several different commentators, they pointed out that it seems that Paul was on to the fact he was probably going to be released. He was not going to be executed. He was not going to be a martyr at this point. Because he keeps hinting to the point that it seems like I'm going to be let go. And so he says, convince of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. I'm pretty sure I'm going to still be alive for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He says, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be around. I'm pretty sure I'm going to survive this. God, uh, maybe he heard it through the guards. I don't know. But he said, you know what? My goal now is to help you with your progress, church in Philippi, to continue to know him more, to continue to be effective as a church, to continue to transform Philippi, even though you too are being persecuted. That's my goal. And I'm going to help you find joy. And that joy, is to, he even talks about it here, is to have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because I'm back. We should be praising God despite our situation, despite our circumstances. Whichever we are in, if we are facing death, have joy. Christ will be honored. If we are to face life, have joy. Praise God, because it's what he's giving us, and we can have an impact and leave a legacy. It really comes down to this point this morning. Live or die, opportunity matters most. Opportunity matters most. I jokingly used the donut illustration earlier. See, between, whether you're having it at the parking lot and just getting to enjoy it, maybe that's not where you see enjoying it, but I'm fine in a quiet parking lot, or the back deck of your house, to me, the bigger deal is I'm getting to enjoy the donut. I don't care where it's at. It's a win anyway. To Paul, that's between living and dying, not donuts. Living, great. Dying, great. What was important to him was the opportunity and what might come out of it. That Christ would be honored. That's what mattered the most to him, regardless of where it was at. And you and I also have that opportunity before us. Life on earth gives you opportunities to build relationships with Jesus and with other people, to impact other lives. How impactful is your life on people around you? Do they see Jesus in you? Do they love Jesus because of your impact on their life? Or are you secluded? You hang out in the light section with all Christians, which you can impact, but there's a world out there that desperately needs light. And you're called to leave that impact, to leave being comfortable. You have an opportunity here, as long as the Lord allows you to tarry, to breathe oxygen, to eat food, to be able to walk, to be able to relate to other people. You have opportunity. But if he takes you, And when he takes you, because he'll take us all. What are you leaving behind? What is your legacy? Does anyone even know what legacy you're trying to leave behind? 
Will the life that you lived be carbon copied into the life of somebody else behind you? Paul knew Philippi would. God could take him. That's okay. Ministry's still going to go on. Philippi's going to continue. Can we say that of our own lives? Sometimes we can focus on living and dying more than we can opportunity. And there's two potential problems with this. We can either obsess over heaven or we can obsess over earth. If I obsess in the present, if I obsess with my time on earth, I am just focused on everything here, living the life, getting the most out of it, doing the most that I can with myself, with my kids, with my job, so on. This is all I care about. You end up with anxiety and goallessness because you've lost sight of the fact that there is a future that we all face. That future is to stand before God, all of us. When I lose that focus, then I get only focused on things here, and yes, I do get anxious because I've forgotten what joy is. Joy is knowing God is in control of all things. Knowing that joy is God will be worth praising regardless of what is going on in my life. If my focus is all on the present, I'm going to be anxious. It's like I don't even realize I'm running a race even though I'm running a race. There is a finish line. The question is, how good is my time? How good am I running? For those of us that maybe focus more on the future, there's wasted opportunities. Wasted opportunities. Here's what I mean. I grew up in some wonderful churches. And we sometimes would have the, hey, pick a song. What song do you want to sing? And many of them all talked about heaven. And heaven is wonderful. Anyone thankful that heaven's our future? I mean, I am. But what I saw in some of the churches that I grew up with was such an obsession with heaven that they refused to face today. We just sang a song, because he lives. It's not, I'm just going to get to heaven. It was, I can face tomorrow. I'm going to be here. Because of that promise of heaven, I could be here. And many of the songs that people would pick, it was like, oh my word, you know, like, are we here And I think sometimes people obsess so much on heaven, which is a wonderful thing, but they obsess so much on it that they were missing the opportunities around them to leave a legacy and to impact people. It was like, just get me to heaven, Jesus. I want out of here. Please get me off this ride. I don't care about my neighbors. I've done my time. I don't care about uh, 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 reaching people for Jesus. I don't care about impacting Ephrata. I just got to get home. God, take me home right now. If I could do it, Take me now. And it was wasted opportunities. Don't let your life be a waste. Don't think so much of heaven that you forget that there's a now. Paul knew this. To live is Christ. To die, that's going to be cool too. I get to be with Jesus. I prefer that one. But I still have work to do. We all still have work to do. Every single one of us. And all of that should give us joy because Christ will be made known. So, this morning, I have a challenge for you. And it's to create tension in your life perspective. This is a good time for self-introspection as far as what are you more concerned about? Present, you're concerned about what's happening this week. You're concerned about your job promotion. You're concerned about all the money, your retirement, all of that. That's what's got your focus. And you've forgotten that, hey, there's lives to be impacted that you have the opportunity to impact, but you will give an account. There's a finish line to this. Are you so 
concerned about just getting to heaven that you're like, God, I just got to endure this and get through this as quick and painless as possible so I can just be with you and be done with this place? Are you missing opportunities that God is putting right there, right in the pew next to you, right in the house next to you, but you just don't care? God, just get me home. Get me out of here. This is a time for introspection and examination of our hearts. Which one are we most obsessed with? Is there a tension? Is it a balancing act for us? Are we so focused on the future we miss? Are we so focused on the now that we miss? Can we find joy in it all? If God has you here for 20 more years, can you choose to find joy in that? Can you? I hope. Because he might. The question is, what are you going to do with 20 years? Except reading the last chapter of the book. How will you impact lives now for Jesus Christ? Close with this story. In New Zealand, there's a new trend in the last 10 years of something called a coffin club. How many people want to join the coffin club? Yeah, yeah. This is legal there. I don't think it's legal here to build your own coffin, but it is in New Zealand. And people get together, and they come together in clubs, and they build their coffins, and they design them the way that they want. Most of them don't even have, realize that they're going to pass away or anything anytime soon. But they build their coffins. I was like, that's got to be pretty dark <laughs> to do that. Um, but it was interesting reading a lot of different stories about this because most of them said when you are building your coffin, it really gives you perspective that one day, yes, I will be in this. But what am I doing today? What am I doing to make the most of my now? And for many of them who are not Christians, obviously they like, well, I want to spend more time with my family and I want to do this or I want to see this and they have their bucket list. For us as Christians, this should be a little different. Yes, we do look forward to when we will see Jesus. But what are we doing with it now? And for those of us that are so focused on now, what are you doing to prepare for the end? How are you making your life count? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the hope that we have, just like Paul had, that when he passes away, he would be with you. And we know he is with you now. And we have that same promise if we have given our lives to you. Father, it is easy, I know even for me, to get focused on everything that is going on right now, to be focused on my life, to be focused on my job, to be focused on my income, to be focused on things that, honestly, in light of eternity, really don't even matter, because I can't take it with me. What can matter, Lord, is the legacy that you allow us all to have on the lives around us. You've put other people around us to impact for Jesus Christ not to just deal with till you take us home. Lord, for those that are here today that are just obsessed with now and have forgotten the eternal perspective, Lord, if there are any of them that have never made the decision to follow Jesus with their life, I ask that today would be the day that they would come to you and say, God, I give my life 100% to you. I've been living for now. I've been living for my income. I've been living for my fame. I've been living for my name. But now I live for yours. Take my life, God. Lord, if there's anyone here today like that, that today would be the day of change and commitment to you. 
that they would turn their lives over and you would do something awesome to them. Give them that hope that those of us that have already done this have of heaven with you in your glory. Father, help us to meditate on these words even as we go about our day, even as we interact with people today, that we would make it count for the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus alone. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.